You're listening to Broadview Church Sermon Audio. For more information or to donate to this ministry, go to broadviewchurch.ca. Well, a question that uh, many of us ask one way or another is, what do people think about me? (laughs) Many of us spend an amazing amount of time uh, wondering what people think of us. Or we spend the time doing things that we think will affect what people will think about us. Uh, For example, how we dress, what we wear is often because of other people. Will people be impressed or will we maybe get a reaction or will people maybe not pay attention to me, whatever, depending on how I dress? Uh, Do I wear my clothes? Are they neat? Are they well-pressed or are they not? Maybe that's what I want. Uh, Are they new? Are they cool clothes? Are they the the ones that people will think, oh, this is a cool person? Uh, Is it an appropriate style to the people that I hang out with? Are they too tight? Are they too loose? Are they the right colors? Uh, Should I wear my shirt tucked out or tucked in or what should we do? You know, so on. We have all these things that we tend to do depending on what people will think of us. I remember some years ago when our granddaughter was two or three years old, I remember coming out and she saw me and she said to me, she says, Grandpa, you don't match. And I'm thinking, oh no, it started already. Uh, you know, so we, we have all these things that we tend to do for what people will think of us. Uh, even how we talk, uh, how we talk, we wonder what will people think about us based on our accent. Do we have an accent? Do we sound like we come from there? I know I've had people at different times ask me whether I came from so-and-so. I actually had somebody ask me if I came from Atlantic Canada one time. No idea where they got that from. But we have this idea. Are we using proper English when we speak and will we get people critiquing us by the language that we use? Uh, Are we using the correct slang for the day? Uh, are we, you know, it's, it's like uh, to use the term far out may just not be cool or sick anymore, uh, whatever. So we have, what's the current? And it seems to change uh, quite regularly. How do we talk? What will people think about how we talk? What about the credentials that we have? Uh, if I'm involved somewhere, what will they think of my education? The credentials, will they be the ones that they would want me to have? Will they be impressed? Will it be from the right school? And so on. What about my experience? Will people appreciate my experience, what I bring into a situation? How will people respond when they find out who I am? Uh, will I be seen as a success? Will I be seen as a failure? Uh, what do people think? Uh, we might wonder about what people will think about where we're from. Uh, oh, you're from there. Uh, is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Uh, what good can come from there? Or that's people that are, as we used to say, from the other side of the tracks. What school did I go to? Uh, what school do I go to? Is it the school that's the cool school? Or is it, is it the school that, ugh, you don't want to go to that school? Uh, did I go to a Christian school? Do I go to a public school? And what will people, how will people react when they find out? What about our skills? We like to impress people with our skills. Uh, for some people, being known as an excellent cook is a really high priority. And so they will want to know if they ever bring food or have people come, whether, whether what they prepared is, is what they would want. Uh, something I never really concerned myself about because I just avoided it. Uh, but it's one of those things that we, we might be concerned about. Or what about how I write? Especially these days with, with so much stuff online where people write blogs and, and, and write 
posts forever on social media. Uh, will people like the way I write? How will they respond? Uh, what about my photography? Will people like the way I take pictures? Will they be impressed? And of course, these days with social media, we have this little thing called the like button. And so we like to see a lot of likes or whatever to make us feel good about people were impressed with, with what we do. As an athlete, if you're an athlete, you, you, you want to not only excel, but you want people to appreciate that you excel and, and applaud you. You might say you don't, but we still have that inner sense within ourselves. We want that from people. Uh, we sometimes will talk about what we're good at, uh, and then hopefully maybe people will, will praise us and how good we are. And sometimes we will apologize for a performance of whatever it is. Again, with this, the secret hope that they will say, well, no, no, it wasn't bad. It was actually good. So we, we like to, we are concerned about what people will think of us. Even spiritually, we're concerned about what people will think of us. What will people think of me? What will people think about my church? Do I go to the cool church? Or is that, oh, you go to that church, almost as if I feel sorry for you. Uh, what do I do and what don't I do? These are things that we're sometimes concerned about what people will see and how they will respond. Am I seen to be so busy that people think, well, I must really be spiritual and so on. I sit on all of these boards and committees and, and they see all these things. What do people think of me? And sometimes I make sure that I don't swear so that people will think, oh, no, whores, you call yourself a Christian? We do it sometimes because of what people will think rather than that's because of what we think. Uh, back in the day, there was a saying, people would say, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go out with girls who do. Uh, but that was the kind of thing to, what will people think of me if I were to do any of these things and people would find out. We have a great temptation to spend a great deal of time to try to impress people. Well, this morning, as we look at our Bible text, I want to present to you the idea that only one thing really matters. There's only one thing that really matters. Of all the push and pull in our lives to try to impress people, to try to live up to their expectations or what we think are their expectations, there's only one thing that really matters. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11 as we're in our series in the study in the book of Philippians called Under Construction, where God has begun a work in you and he will complete the job. We find that Paul is in prison in Rome and he's writing to the church in Philippi, to the believers there. And it's a church of diverse people, people with different backgrounds. And with those different backgrounds came different expectations that they might have coming out of those backgrounds, including a significant number of people that were scattered Jews that had been scattered around the then known world. And so we come to Philippians chapter 3, beginning to read from verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's almost like he's come to this point and he's concluding the letter and then he says, oh, wait, there's more I want to talk about because then later on he says, finally, again. But he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. 
If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul emphatically states here, there's only one thing that really matters in life, and that is to know and to experience Jesus Christ. There are all kinds of voices around us trying to tell us uh, what is important in life. Some of them are literally screaming at us, whether it's from our media that we see around us, whatever in the world we live, do this, do that, do it this way. No, not that way, but do it this way. You, do something and do what I say the way I say it. The church in the first century faced powerful pressure to return to the legalism of their previous religious life. And Paul faced that pressure head on. Paul makes a startling statement in verse 2. And he gave a strong warning. Now, if those statement, that statement was to be made today by somebody that was, was somewhat known, uh, then in our world this would hit the press and the news would beat it to death, if you would, and it would be all over social media. So Paul writes and he says, watch out for those dogs. These men are evil, mutilators of the flesh. Whoa, that got their attention. So what Paul is reacting to, Paul is reacting to the legalism of the Jewish, they call them Judaizers. These were the ones who wanted to, to put pressure on the Christian church, the believers to conform to the Jewish laws and traditions, where the focus was on human effort to gain favor with God. Now, the God, had given to, God had given the law to the Jews, and had given them a variety of specific instructions, and a lot of them specifically surrounding the covenant that God made with the people of Israel. And with that, there were those commands. And now the Jewish leaders then said, well, if we're, not, if we're going to follow this command to make sure that we don't break that command, here is something that we'll, we have to make sure we define it so we know what it is. And it got narrower and narrower. And so that all these laws built upon laws upon laws, and they expanded on the law. And so they would try to impose that on people. And circumcision was something that God had established as a, as a sign of the covenant that they, were in a relation, that they were in this covenant relationship with God. And so now they came and said, well, you as followers then, as followers of Jesus, if you follow God, then you have to also be circumcised and you have to do it on the right day. Now how they worked that out, I'm not quite sure. 
But there was an aggressive imposition of legalism on the Christian believers in that early church. And Paul's response was, if anyone can meet those standards, I can. If anyone can have confidence in human effort, then I can. And so he goes through a list. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. To some of us, that may not mean a whole lot. But to be circumcised on the eighth day was the right day because that demonstrated that you were, that you were a Jew by birth. And so you were not simply a proselyte, but you were one of them. And on the eighth day, it was done right. And it was also in contrast to the Ishmaelites who were circumcised at age 13. And so Paul emphasized, I was done right. And he was of the race of Israel, he says. The Jews believed that they had a special place in this world as God's people. And so he says, I was, I was circumcised, I was identified, I'm one of these people, these special people in this world. Not only that, but I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And stating that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, indicating that he was among the elite in Israel. The first king of Israel, Saul, was a Benjamite. And probably, as Paul's name was Saul, he was probably named after this king. And so he was a Benjamite, and the Benjamites were the ones that when, when, when Israel separated with the ten northern kingdoms, separated from the south, Benjamin stayed with the Benjaminites, stayed with, with Judah in the south. So suggesting that, again, they were just a little cut above the others. And he says, I'm a trained Pharisee. And the Pharisees were what you might consider the spiritual athletes of Israel. They were the spiritually, they were the ones that made sure they had all the law just so and trying to get everybody to follow the law in that way. Their aim was that everybody would follow every law in very specific detail. And so I was one of those and I did everything to keep that law. And not only that, but I was so zealous that I persecuted the church. I went above and beyond to do all these things that these people are saying. I was blameless in the things of the law. He says, so hey, if, if in fact these things matter, he says, I've got it made. I have the credentials. He says, but guess what? I have news for you. This is all absolutely useless to gaining favor with God. When it comes to gaining favor with Christ, As a matter of fact, Paul says, I consider it as harmful. I consider it as a loss. And the word there, loss, actually means to damage or to do hurt. I consider it to be harmful, hurtful. And he considered it that way is because it deceives us into thinking that we can somehow do this on our own effort somehow we can attain our own righteousness by our own human effort. But he says the only thing that counts is knowing Jesus. Because it's in our knowing Jesus and in our coming to Jesus Christ in faith that he gives us righteousness. You see, we in our world today, we also have an inclination toward what we call legalism to our own human effort. We have the same inner inclination to try to gain God's favor through our own effort. 
You see, all other religions in the world are based on human effort to somehow gain their righteousness, however they would define that, to get ahead spiritually. And we have that propensity to judge other people based on their human effort. We, in our own selves, we sometimes will try to do things in order to gain favor with God. And we might suggest to other people they should do the same thing. It may be having to do with with our giving, how we give to God. And maybe if I give God above and beyond, then I will gain extra favor for extra blessing in my life. And if people are really following God, then they will follow my standard for how they should give Not that we ever really find out in how we track things, but sometimes we come out and we talk about these things. So how do we impress people or God? We try to impress God and impress other people through our church attendance. Well, maybe not this last year because we haven't been allowed to be there, but there's some people that go out and do it anyways uh, wherever they are. But sometimes we, we want to impress people by how often we are there so that people will see, or maybe God will see I am there and therefore I will have attained favor with God. And, and for some people, that gaining favor is going to church regularly twice a year, uh, once at Christmas and once at Easter. I remember a few years ago I had a phone call and it was... It was early December, and the person called the church and uh, said, what time is your service? And I knew that what they meant, what time is your Christmas service? Because, by the way, they were saying, so that was the significance of going once or twice a year. Uh, but we, we somehow think that by going those few times, we will gain favor with God. Or we try to gain favor with God or with other people, or we judge other people on where they are spiritually, on whether they say grace before a meal. And so if you're at a restaurant and you see somebody that claims to be a believer and they start eating their meal and they don't say grace, obviously, before they eat, well, they're clearly not quite cut it spiritually. We tend to judge these things in people and hold that as a legalistic in front of us. Uh, What about the whole notion of getting a tattoo? of how we tend to judge somebody if we see they have a tattoo and think, oh, they must have had a lapse in their spiritual journey when they, when they did that. Uh, we tend to judge people, have these legalistic things about some of these things. Or swearing in the presence of a minister or not. The number of people, of times when somebody w- would do that and then also realize that I'm a pastor and then they become very apologetic. Somehow this is something that we're not going to be legalistic and judge one another about. Or how often or regularly we have our devotions. What is the reason? Is it to somehow gain favor in God's books? Is that why we do it? And sometimes we judge people and think they are obviously the most spiritual if they are the most legalistic, conservative people around and their behavior and what they show outside. How do we judge spiritual stature, others or our own? Paul says that none of these matter to gain favor with God. It's not based on human effort. It's not based on human effort to gain favor with God. That's not what really matters. So what is the true response to God? We find in verse 13. Paul says, we are the true circumcision. Now, we might have a theological debate about what he meant by that, but actually in the original language, which does not come through in the English at all, it's actually a pun. 
And, and, and if I understood it well enough, I'd actually could appreciate it because, yes, I do make dad jokes and make puns. Uh, so, but it comes through in the original language. And so he says that we are ones who are following after God. He says we, in response to God, not out of outward action to try to impress God or others, we worship by the Spirit of God. We worship by the Spirit of God. We worship in spirit and in truth. When we worship him, we do it because this is what we desire to do and the difference that God has made in our lives. It's because of our relationship. It is not simply a legalistic ritual. It's not simply a legalistic ritual. And it will be interesting to see when, when the COVID restrictions lift and we can once again meet freely as to how much it will show whether we in fact are, are doing what we do because we follow after God or because this was something that we were expected to do. So we worship God in spirit and in truth, really worship him. And he says we glory in Christ. We, we boast in Christ alone. We don't boast in and of ourselves and our effort. We boast in what Christ has done because he's the one that has rescued us. It's because of what he has done that we experience righteousness in our lives. And he says we put no confidence in the flesh. We don't put the confidence in ourselves and in our human effort. The most important thing he says is the passion to know Christ. In verse 10. To know Christ, to know him, to know him personally. It's a personal knowledge. It's a personal experience of knowing him and walking him, walking with him. It's not simply knowing about him. It's not just some casual acquaintance. It's not simply being a friend of a friend. And he's not just some religious object of worship. But we actually are in a relationship with him to know him, to get to know him deeper and deeper and deeper and grow in that relationship, to know him. Barclay in his commentary writes, he says, to know Christ is not to be skilled in any theoretical or theological knowledge. It is to know him with such intimacy that in the end we are as united with him as we are with those who we love on earth and that as we share their experiences, so we also share his. To share experience with him. Above anything else, Paul says, he wanted to know Christ. He wanted to know him personally. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to experience him. It's not simply head knowledge. It's not simply learning by serious study. It's not simply studying him. We tend to confine knowing to the brain. But biblically, knowledge is actually talking about knowing, personally knowing, and a desire to to know and to, to intimately know him. To wake up in the morning and to walk with him through the day. To get to know him better continually. And Paul says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. And this is also experiential. It's not just hearing about. But where it's impossible to depend on my own power but to depend on his power at work in my life. To experience the power of forgiveness in my life. 
And what Jesus Christ has done where he paid the price that we celebrate at Easter time when Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross to pay for my sin. And it's through that payment that he now offers to us where we come to him and we confess our sin. And we trust in him and he forgives us. It's through the power, his power at work within us that brings about that rightness, that righteousness. Where it's the power of the Holy Spirit of God at work within us. Power at work within us that becomes evident in new life as that new life springs up within us and as we grow. As we are literally living and walking among the dead in this world. Whereas the symbol of baptism where where there's death to the old and being raised to a new, it's not just to a new set of rules, it's to a new life in Christ. A life of walking with him and knowing him. And Paul talks about to know the fellowship of suffering. This is not suffering for a human sin because Jesus Christ did that. We don't need to once again suffer for sin. But as we as we experience this, as we react the way that Jesus reacted. This comes as a result of total obedience. You know, we have this tendency to think that when we come to Jesus Christ, we come to him so that he will relieve our suffering. Well, he does relieve our eternal suffering. But on this earth, if we know him, if we walk life the way he did, then we will experience the fact that it goes counter to the world in which we live. And we will likely experience suffering as we walk the journey of Jesus. And he talks about this being and having an eternal nature. When he says to somehow attain the resurrection, he's not that at point saying, oh man, I hope I'm lucky enough to make it. Or that I somehow earned it. Because that would speak a totally contrary to what he's just said. But to experience God at work with him, it's not simply an eternal security matter, nor is it a work for it matter. It is to live it out so that the, the resurrection will be evident in my life as we see the life that Christ gives and then to experience that in eternity. In, in a magazine from 60 years ago, uh, there's a quote here I think is so significant. It says, as I walk your streets, as I walk into your homes, as I walk into your stores, as I walk into your offices, as I mingle among the sons of men, I want to be so living for Christ, so outstanding for him, that you can see that I'm living, that I'm a living one among the dead ones. Now, again, it's not simply because of all these things, because that would be still a dead man walking, but as Christ is at work within us to where we are alive and it becomes evident that we're living the life that Christ is living in us. Paul says the greatest passion, his greatest passion, is to know Christ personally and intimately. Folks, that is the most important thing for all of us. And that is to live our lives getting to know him more and more and more intimately. You see, we are tempted to do. We are tempted to try to do to impress God and to impress other people. Or we're tempted to do to get the job done. But too often, our focus is so much more on that and we don't take time to draw close to God. 
I have to confess that for me as a pastor, with all the expectations that people have and all the demands, I sometimes say when you've got 400 people, that means you've got 500 different expectations that are there, at least. Uh, But all the expectations and demands, sermons to prepare, meetings to go to, uh, problems to solve, a future to plan for, a community to reach, and so on and so on, never mind with all the uniqueness and all the demands surrounding this COVID time that we're in. All of a sudden, We can stop and wonder, where is God in all this? And I have to be very intentional to make a central part of who I am, to know Christ. Without that, the rest doesn't matter at all. I can be doing all things, but the most important thing is to know him more and more. As we approach this Easter season, as we're in this season of Lent, we sometimes have the pressures to do, to somehow measure up to people's expectations. And during this COVID time, we can be so distracted about all the things that we're not supposed to do or all the rules that we really want to break. But what happens inside of us? Are we striving so hard? Are we striving so hard to impress, to try to impress God or to impress others, to somehow make it on our own, to rummage through the rubbish, if you would? Or are we obsessed with getting to know Christ? What I want to do is to know Christ more and more. This year, I want to take the time consistently and regularly to get to know him better, to spend time with him, to talk to him, to listen to him, to know him and experience the power of the risen Christ in my life, even if that might mean suffering disfavor from others. Will you join me? Will you join me on that journey this year? May God be at work within us, in you and in me, that we might make it our passion and our priority to know him above anything else and then to let what we do flow out of that relationship. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you this morning, we thank you for your absolutely amazing grace, and mercy in our lives. Where you, you saw that we were trying to do this on our own and, and we couldn't, it was impossible. We've tried over and over and over again for thousands of years to try to rescue ourselves, but it just always fell short. But you stepped into this world and you provided a way for us to experience life, to experience new life. And as you gave your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to pay the price for our sin, that we can have forgiveness. Thank you. And Lord, this morning we bow before you and, and we just open our lives to you. And if there's somebody that's joining us this morning, if you're at home or where you are, 
and you've never ever opened your heart to Jesus. You've been trying this on your own and you've been falling short. This morning I invite you where you are to even get on your knees before Jesus and say to him, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for paying the price that I never could pay. And this morning, I give my life to you. I bow before you and confess my need of you, my sin before you. Lord, and I ask you to forgive me and to come into my life, and I want to begin that journey of knowing you. Express that before Jesus. Tell somebody so that you can encourage one another to walk the journey. Lord, thank you again for opening your life to us and desiring amazingly to want to have that relationship with us. And I pray for everyone as we as your people walk this journey that you would help us to to not become so enslaved once again to all the rules, but that we would voluntarily submit ourselves as slaves, as Paul called himself, to know you, to walk with you, and to grow deeper and deeper and deeper, and then see how that changes us and shapes us to be the people you call for us to be. And so we submit ourselves to you in Jesus' amazing and wonderful and powerful name. Amen.